Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin, so we're finally here. We've been talking about talking about Rebels for a long time, and we finally pulled it together. Yeah. I think it's about time we get into it because we've had to sort of talk around Rebels for a long time. And so let's just dive right in and um, get going on Rebels and then we don't have to talk around it anymore. Exactly. Because if I had a nickel for every time we talked about Rebels but didn't actually talk about Rebels, I might even have a whole dollar by this point. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. So let's set up Rebels. Um, we are 14 years after Empire Day and we meet a young man named Ezra, a.k.a. Aladdin. Um, yeah. and He's uh he's kind of a an interesting character. Yeah, I mean he's your basic. I mean they call him a variety of names. They call him a street rat. They call him a loth rat. He lives on a planet called Lothal. So you'll find over the course of Rebels that they just put loth in front of a whole bunch of things. They've got loth cats and loth rats and loth wolves. Really, they're just cats and wolves. Right, right, for sure. Because when we see cats and wolves on other planets, they aren't called the other planet and then that name. They're just cats and wolves. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, so Ezra, he is, um, so he is 14. He was born on Empire Day. So when we, when we first meet him, he's 14 years old. He is, um, a little bit of a mischievous thief and, um, yeah, he gets into trouble a lot. Yeah. Basically, uh, it's pretty much the exact same opening scene as, uh, Aladdin, except there's no Abu monkey. Um, and so there's this poor boy who's a little hungry and he winds up stealing some food and he, he helps another guy out while he does it, but he's certainly very selfish and manages to take what he wants and, and fool the local police authorities. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So where we are, we're on Lethal. Um, you said this is the outer rim. Yes. Okay. And what kind of planet is Lethal? Um, it's kind of like a, an arid temperate planet. It's got some, you know, some like dry grasses and some sort of desert, um, you know, mountain formations. But it's, you know, it's just like your average pleasant planet. Nothing really all that important. Um, I, I would presume the economy is mostly agriculture and uh, it's just sort of minding its own business, except that the empire is there for reasons. Well, it, it turns out the Empire is there for reasons because it's not just an agricultural planet. They've got some manufacturing in which they're uh, making TIE fighters and other military equipment for the Empire there. Um, and, and there's a few things that come into play during our adventures on Lethal that, you know, make uh, that planet a little bit more significant. And uh, we'll, we'll get into it in a little bit. Uh, so who's Ezra going to meet? So Ezra's going to meet the crew of the Ghost. Uh, they call themselves the Spectres um, or Spectre Squad. And this is a group of folks that have gotten together over some period of time. And they're, they're basically petty criminals. I mean, they, they, but they focus their crime on sort of anti-Empire, pro-people uh, oppressed by the Empire. So they're kind of Robin Hood criminals, but they work for local crime lords and stuff, so they're not, you know, super clean. But they're, they're your basic beginnings of a, re of a rebellion cell. Right, and I, I mean, I, I think you basically hit the nail on the head calling them a Robin Hood gang. Uh, the, the, the thing is, it's like they can't possibly get away with what they're doing without partnering with some of the crime sing syndicates and some of the bad guys there so you know they pick and choose and 
we see in the first episode of Rebels that one of those crime lords or lower level crime lord guys is like, I could pay you all the money that you guys have earned from this or I can give you information that might be interesting to the rebellion. And it turns out that's where we start learning where their interests truly lie. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and in this particular case, they, um, you know, they they get in intelligence about the location of um, like some kidnapped Wookiee slaves. And, you know, they give up a lot of their money to go and rescue those Wookiees. They also what they stole from the Empire, they didn't give all of it. They sold weapons to Visago, but they kept the food for themselves. And then they hand out the food to people who've been displaced from town by Imperials. So. They're definitely a, a well, you know, they're they're a, a do-gooder group and they're willing to put uh, the safety of kind of oppressed people in the galaxy above their own. Which is about darn time. How many times have I ranted and raved about how slavery is prevalent through the galaxy and the Jedi don't seem to bat an eye about it. Everyone's just like, yeah, that's just how it's going to be. But finally, we got some people going, this is not going to work for us. Yeah, and that's great. Good finally, for it's yes. about darn time. Um, so, uh, again, who are our Spectre squad? So um, the Spectres are, are led by uh, a woman named Harrison Dula. She is a Twi'lek. She owns the Ghost, which is their ship. And, and remind everyone, Twi'leks are the... are the ones with the two long... They're called Leku, the, but the two long head tails. Um, and, you know, they're, they're seen around the galaxy in a, in a variety, often in bars and stuff. Um they're kind of your prevalent non, you know, in, in a lot of Star Wars content, they're your, your most common non-human aliens that, that you bump into because, you know, they're just common in the galaxy. Yeah, pretty much any time in other Star Wars uh, visual media that we've seen Twi'leks so far, they've either been uh, hanging out in a bar, dancing for someone like Jabba, or, you know, just kind of you know, maybe slightly less unsavory. So we finally meet a Twi'lek who seems to be super duper on the up and up and is a female hero. Yes. And um, yeah. And we find out later that she's a, like a legacy of, um, you know, the, the, her father fought in the Clone Wars and stuff, but we'll get into that in later seasons when we, when we talk about her. The other members of the crew are um, her, she, you know, she calls him love. They're definitely a, a couple. Uh, her guy's name is Kanan Jarrus. Um, and this is probably the first stable like couple relationship that we've run into um, really kind of, you know, other than Luke and Leia. <laughs> Yikes. No, I, I mean, it, as healthy as a relationship within a local terror cell could be, they, they tend to have it. Um, but no, they they are really just good to each other. They don't seem to have too many secrets. And, and you know, Hera, as we see in the series we see her manipulate Kanan a little bit to get the outcome that she wants and it's not so much that he's completely tricked by her or anything like that but ultimately he just needs a little bit of a nudge in the right direction and she's very good at doing that with him yeah that's right so. and so Kanan he reveals in the pilot episode um and this is kind of central to the to the whole show is that he is um a Jedi um he was a Padawan at the time of Order 66 his master was killed, he escaped, and he has been hiding his Jedi nature for 14 years. And he chooses to reveal himself at this time, um, in part because he meets Ezra Bridger, who turns out is Force-sensitive, and um, Kanan decides to train him as a Jedi. Right, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Let's meet the rest of our friends here, and then we'll talk about Ezra's Force-sensitive moment. Sure. 
Um, the other members of the crew are Garazeb Aurelios. He goes by Zeb. He is a Lasat, which is uh, kind of a big burly dude. Um, he, he's purple. He's purple. He has yellow eyes. Not human. Uh, he is one of the last few of his kind. Um, the rest of the Lasats were genocided by the Empire. Um, and then the remaining members of the crew are Sabine Wren. She is a Mandalorian uh, from Clan Wren. She's about 16 years old at this time, maybe 17. Probably 17. We, we were talking about the math extensively. So yeah. she seems to be some kind of child prodigy as well. Yeah, and she she features pretty heavily in the later seasons when we have a little bit of uh, Mandalorian entanglements in, in later seasons of Rebels. And then the last member of the crew is Chopper. He's a uh, protocol, or I mean, he's a, an astromech droid of the C1 variety. I forgot his full designation. He's sassy. Like if you thought R2-D2 had some personality, Chopper's got a lot of personality. Exactly. And, and Chopper is a little bit more of a doofus than R2-D2. So R2-D2, I kind of think is a little bit more suave. As far as droids go, if that's even a possibility. But Chopper, he, he's a little bit clunky, but he is sassy. Yes. Voiced by uh, David Filoni, who's the showrunner um, and the sort of architect of the um, the animated uh, Star, Star Wars universe. Exactly. And I want to see a lot more content driven by him. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then, um, you know, eventually this group expands and, you know, over further seasons. but some key folks that we see in season one. So just, you know, to take a step back, there are four seasons altogether. We're, we're going to talk about season one today. Um, but we, we meet some old friends. We meet some new friends. Uh, one of the people we see is Lando Calrissian. Yeah. And Lando Calrissian shows up in a few episodes as, you know, himself. And so this is, you know, again, keeping in mind that this is 14 years after Empire Day and five BBY five BBY. So this is before he is the administrator of Cloud City. But, um, you know, certainly after the events of Solo uh, and he's just sort of running around doing his Lando thing. Billy D. Williams actually provides the voice for a couple of his appearances. And this lines up with what Han Solo says in Empire when he's like, he's no friend of the rebellion. So we, we see, or no friend of the, the Empire, Empire yeah. sorry. Um, he's not necessarily acting as part of a, the Rebellion, but he's definitely not a friend of the Empire. That's right. So um, we, uh, we see that there's a connection to the Senators because the Senate's still in, you know, meeting. Uh, they're not really powerful in any kind of way, but they, you know, we, we know that there are still some senators that we're going to see later on or we've talked about before. So we see Senator Bail Organa and through him, we learn that there is a spy. Yes. Well, and, and there's an agent of his and the agent's name is Fulcrum. And so one of the big reveals of the uh, of the end of season one is the identity of Fulcrum. Um, and also, incidentally, in episode two of the season, we run into C-3PO and R2-D2, who happen to have been on um, on a mission for Bail Antilles, or Bail Organa, because if you remember, um, they were left to his care at the end of Revenge of the Sith, um, and they were doing something, and they sort of cross up with the with the um, Spectre crew, and that's sort of how Bail first gets a view into the existence of and the behavior of the Spectres. And then he eventually, through his through his agents, he recruits them to the Rebellion. Um, and I believe eventually, I'm not sure if she's in season one, but we do run into Mon Mothma, who at this point has actually resigned from the Senate, denounced the Emperor, and is 
in hiding but openly we don't the see that until season two okay. she's still technically within the is senate she still technically a senator at yeah this point? so okay. she's still technically a senator in season one and she uh you know is trying to play the political game they between her and uh senator organa they still seem to think that there's hope to make change within the senate those hopes are dashed as we ultimately come to learn but uh, she basically, at some point in season two, I think, is when she has to go into hiding. Okay. But I, I think some of the political intrigue that we see there is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so when essentially Organa learns that there's this random little crime running terror rebellion favoring cell that's just kind of like they're ultimately good, but maybe they're not completely playing by the rules. He's like, this is the kind of group that we need on our side. That's right. Yeah. And so he ultimately recruits them. And um, and and really, he recruits Hera through, I think it's off screen kind of stuff. And then she starts taking intelligence from Fulcrum. Um, and again, we'll, we reveal Fulcrum at the end of the season. Right. And with Hera being in charge, you know, it's kind of suggested during the, the first couple of episodes that Kanan Jarrus is the leader of this group, but he is not. Hera is. And she kind of uses the information that she gets from Fulcrum to drive where the team is going to go. She arranges for their gig to help them make their money and do what they need to do. And the rest of the team just kind of follows. Um, so how does Ezra become part of this team? So in the in the very first episode in the pilot, um, after he sort of steals some food and tricks some Imperials, he witnesses the Spectre team um, running an operation where they're stealing food and weapons from the Empire. And he sort of jumps into the middle of it. And, and like the, you know, the Spectres, they they knock guys off three speeder bikes that are loaded with cargo. He jumps onto one of them and steals it. And then he gets into sort of a, a race with uh, Kanan and Zeb. Uh, to try to get away, and he ultimately gets shot down by a TIE fighter as the ghost pulls up, and they offer him a ride. And so he kind of goes along for for a couple of missions in the in the pilot episodes. And while he is riding along with them, Kanan kind of feels his force sensitivity. And, and this was actually before he even got into the whole chase scene uh, with the you know stolen goods. Uh, he's just kind of looking down. He's he's drawn to Kanan Jarrus and he doesn't realize that he's drawn to him, but it's a force drawing him. And because he's reaching out with the force, even though he's totally not aware that he's doing it, Kanan Jarrus can sense that and immediately turns around, looks at Ezra and Ezra freaks out. And that's where shenanigans ensue. Yeah, that's right. And so through the, you know, so, sort of through the first uh, couple of um, sequences in the in the pilot, uh, Hera convinces Kanan to let Ezra sneak on board and steal his holocron. So Kanan has a Jedi holocron, and she basically, they agree that if Ezra is able to find the holocron, take the holocron, and open the holocron, then Kanan is sort of obligated to train him as a Jedi. And Kanan, and Ezra does all of those things. Right, and Kanan Jarrus has basically kind of turned his back on being an open force wielder. He's worried that it exposes him, and... As we get into that story, let's take a step back and talk about who are the bad guys here. Yeah, so the bad guys are the Empire in general, right? I mean, that's who we're fighting against. But in particular, because the Spectres have been relatively active on Lothal, the Empire has dispatched a member of the Imperial Security Bureau, or the ISB. Um, and his and name how is would you equate that for us to understand? Yeah, the ISB is basically like the 
kind of like the KGB or like the uh, the SS and of the Nazis. They're, oh, not they're, good. No, they're not great. They're basically the secret police that um, that that ensure that Imperials are loyal to the Empire, and then they also do additional like anti-rebellion, um, you know, and 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 other like kind of. Um, suppression activities of the populace, but they basically they go around some in uniform, some not, some embedded on you know on star destroyers and other ships, and some not, and they basically make sure that everybody in the empire is loyal to the emperor. Yeah, and, and we see throughout many episodes where they're basically inserting themselves in a way to promote propaganda towards the empire, and we see that on Lethal. Uh, we we also see it in other instances throughout Star Wars Galaxy Media. But you know, I, I think it's uh, they're very sophisticated. Yeah, I mean, they have all of the resources in the Empire, and um, and you know, once they identify themselves, they can kind of commandeer stormtroopers and material and weapons and and whatever they need to do their job. They're kind of above the law. They are the law, and. Um, and opposing them means, you know, that you're committing treason and you're executed. So they they can do kind of whatever they want. Right. So in the hierarchy of bad guys, you know, the Empire is a whole led by the Emperor, you know, Lord Sidious, uh, Palpatine. We've got uh, Darth Vader. And we then start having these Imperial, uh, I, I guess, officers. You know, we, we're going to run into Grand Moff Tarkin. We're going to run into a few others. But then we've got this ISB as well. And so there's like a power struggle between everyone who isn't uh, the emperor. Yeah, that's right. And that's how the empire is set up, right? I mean, they've got all these sort of competing organizations and they are, you know, everybody wants power and everybody wants to show everybody else up. And that usually works against them. And then the last kind of bad guy that we encounter um, is uh, the Inquisitor. And this is this was a new concept that was introduced for Rebels. That, um, you know, in, in prior media, there was this whole notion that the Empire hunted down and killed the Jedi. And we see that that was largely accomplished through the clone army in Order 66. But the clone army's gone now. Vader can't do it all alone. He's got a lot of obligations on his time. And so we have the the Inquisitor. And in, in the first season, it's, it appears that there's only one. And it turns out, as we find out, there are up to nine. We don't really know exactly how many. They don't have names, um, but we do know that they're called the. Um, they they have a number and a and a you know sort of a gender. So it's the sixth brother and the seventh sister, and I believe we meet the ninth brother, which implies that there are at least nine of them, possibly more. Um, and so once uh, Kanan reveals himself as a Jedi, uh, Agent Callus of the ISB contacts the Grand Inquisitor. And tells him that he's witnessed a Jedi um, and requests him to come to Lothal and take care of the Jedi problem. So that becomes sort of the the main big bad uh, is a is a one two punch of Callus, who is sort of trying to stop the mundane, you know, everyday activities of the Spectres. And then the Inquisitor, who's trying to find at least Kanan and, you know, as they come to find Ezra uh, and what he really his mission is to capture Ezra and bring him to the Emperor to be trained as as a dark Jedi and to kill Kanan Jarrus because he's too old. Right. And what what's really interesting in the way that they present all of that is that uh, Agent Callus is looking at this as an opportunity for him to seize more power. And so even though he has to alert the Inquisitors to the fact that he's found these Jedi, he needs to make sure that he's the one who gets credit for having found them. 
and brings them into the emperor. So, you know, even though he's going to kind of invite the inquisitors to help out a little bit, he doesn't really want to do that because he wants the credit. And I, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me is we've got this crazy power struggle. And if you think about why the rule of two came into play with the Sith, was that the Sith could never stop fighting for power. And so, you know, they kept fighting amongst themselves, killing each other off. And I think that we see that obviously not all of these uh, fools here that are bad guys in the Rebels series are Force-sensitive and Sith Lords, but we see that they're fighting for power. And that just that infighting creates all these weaknesses and it allows um, our friends on the ghost to be able to, you know, escape as many times as they do. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, yeah, the Empire ultimately, as usual, kind of works against itself. Um, and certainly stormtroopers are pretty doofy uh, in the whole series. Um, and then we do get a couple appearances by Darth Vader. Uh, he appears briefly in the pilot episode, and we kind of don't see him again until the um, the final episode of season one. But uh, I thought season two. Well, he appears briefly in, at the end of season one when we introduce because we meet a whole bunch of people in the in the finale of season one. We meet Grand Moff Tarkin. We actually, I believe, that may be the first time we see Bail. Uh, we see Fulcrum, and then we see Mo Grand Moff Tarkin calling Darth Vader and inviting him to come in place of because spoiler alert or not whatever but the Inquisitor does not survive the season and so once the Inquisitor is dead uh, Grand Moff Tarkin is like hey this thing on the Lothal is kind of serious so he calls Vader who if you remember from you know be from between Clone Wars and the prequel trilogy Tarkin and Anakin slash Vader are you know kind of buddies and partners in a lot of things and so ultimately uh, Tarkin calls in Vader and Vader um, responds and so we see him again in the in the closeout of season one as you know setting himself up to be the big bad of season two right right and, uh, you know, I, I think some of the other, you know, secondary characters and subplots that we see are some of the crime lords that, you know, they're we, we don't I, I mean, we even do we see Jabba the Hutt at any point? I feel like Jabba maybe appears somewhere in Rebels, but he's I don't think he's in season one. And just as a funny aside, Ezra, anytime he is captured by Imperials or, or any bad guys and they ask his name, he always he always used the name Jabba the Hutt. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is really funny because at, at some point, and we talked about this when we talked about um, Maul's story, Maul meets Ezra at some point, and, and Maul, of course, commanded Jabba the Hutt at one point in his in his uh, crime career, and so when Ezra introduces himself as Jabba, Maul's kind of like, yeah, okay. I, he doesn't actually say it, but you can kind of see it in his eyes like, I know Jabba. Like, yeah, yeah. Wait, does it's Jabba's nephew or, or something like that gets, uh, you know, kidnapped by some other... No, crime that, syndicate that's at the beginning of clone wars oh beginning of clone wars yeah. well then i i don't know why he stumbles across the name jabba but he likes to use it quite a bit yeah so, so. yeah ezra always always calls himself jabba um and then yeah i i guess yeah that kind of rounds out kind of who I, like the crime lords that we run into are, are minor crime lords that are kind of new for this there's a guy named visago who is um I'm trying to think of his species, but he's vaguely a uh, kind of Russian sounding guy. There's a guy named as Morrigan who is super annoying. And then I believe we do briefly get introduced in season one, but he's really a factor in seasons two, three, and four is uh, Hondo Onaka, who is not a crime lord, nor is he a smuggler, but he is a pirate and proud of it. And uh, he ultimately is a, sort of a frenemy of the Spectre Cell. 
Right, right. He he goes where the wind takes him, and he becomes one of my more favorite characters. So yeah. as his storyline really develops, we'll talk about him more. Yeah, and um, remember, we met him in Clone Wars because he and Kenobi had a whole thing. Yeah, but he he winds up not being as relevant in Clone Wars as he is in Rebels. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it, basically season one is a series of adventures. It's the transition of watching a group that is basically in it to, you know, pay the bills, be a Robin Hood, but not have any ultimate goal to changing their mission, to coming together as a family and to help the rebellion. Yeah, that's true. And I, I mean, I, I actually think that there are kind of two overarching plots. So that's definitely one of them. And, you know, it, it culminates in the end of the season of them becoming a true rebel cell instead of sort of um, an ancillary used by the rebellion cell. Uh, and then I think the other major storyline that that spans the whole season is um, you know, Ezra and Kanan's relationship and Ezra getting trained as a Jedi. And so he goes through sort of the the basic progression of, you know, Kanan teaches him the basics of the force. What is the force? Those this and that, whatever. And then it, there is a Jedi temple, a hidden Jedi temple on Lothal that they discover. Do you it, think that's a coincidence? I do not think that's a coincidence. I think that that is the will of the force. Um, and that they discover the temple, they go to the temple, and in the temple they meet uh, none other than, or at least Ezra meets, uh, Yoda. And he can only hear his voice, um, and he sees him in kind of a, uh, a blackened chamber with uh, sort of a starscape and a white circle, which we'll see with him much, much later that we'll talk about in season four. Looks like the same place to me. Um, but he hears the voice of Yoda and Yoda kind of sends him on a little bit of a quest inside the temple that results in Ezra getting his kyber crystal for his lightsaber. And so ultimately he builds himself a lightsaber. Which is good because at first Ezra keeps stealing Kanan Jarrus's lightsaber and you know, you really shouldn't steal from your family and from the people that you're going to be hanging around with for a long time. Plus Kanan needs his lightsaber. But secondly, uh, the weapon, if you will, that Ezra's given is a uh, slingshot and that's just not going to work. Yeah. And this is just sort of like as a, as a kind of a show note, like when you, when you, if you watch the first couple episodes of Rebels, it was clearly intended to be, you know, Clone Wars got pretty heavy, especially in the last couple seasons. And, and Rebels was, Rebels came out after, uh, I believe season five. It came out in 2014. So yeah. Yes, so it was well after, after season five. I think it was before season six. The lost episodes were were released, or right around the same time. But it was basically after Clone Wars was over, and they were targeting a little bit of a younger audience with it by bringing on a character of Ezra's age. But by about the midpoint of the first season, uh, I think that the showrunners realized a couple things. One, it was nonsense to have um, a kid like being a kid and working for a rebel group. And yeah, then, it's not Dennis. No, two, that a slingshot is an insane weapon against Imperials. And three, that in the pilot episode, he kills multiple people by stunning them with a slingshot and then knocking them over, you know, like over large bottomless pits and things. And so like we basically have this like this kid's going around like he's shooting down star, you know, he's shooting down TIE fighters like this kid's killing people. And so it didn't make sense anymore for him to be like, you know, try to make him super innocent. And the maturity level of the show goes up by a lot very quickly. And so it 
it kind of it looked like in the beginning it was targeting that like you know 12 maybe 10 to 14 year old demographic and then it all of a sudden jumps up to be a you know a semi-adult adult show it's not not very kiddie and and as a result you know ezra gets he builds himself a lightsaber and he builds a very interesting unique lightsaber where he builds um it has a standard lightsaber blade but it has uh, basically a stun blaster built into the hilt and so he can shoot stunners at people and then also uh, activate it as a true lightsaber. Right. And I think the reason for him doing that is very similar to the reason that it took Kanan Jarrus so long to reveal himself as a Jedi is that, you know, he's been hiding. You know, he hasn't really triggered everyone to know that he should have been killed with Order 66. He's been hanging around as a Jedi for the past 14 years. And so by not having a lightsaber, by not constantly calling on the force whenever he's in battle, Ezra is able to kind of hide under the radar just a little bit too. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then I think the the one other important aspect of, of maybe the plot and the character development is that Ezra, as early as kind of the midpoint of season one, as he starts to grow into his force powers, which he's pretty strong with the force. and he, Really strong with yeah, the force. Yeah, he learns, he learns very quickly, but he, you know, he was orphaned. His parents were killed by the Empire. Uh, I think we find out in season, it's in season one, we find out that they actually ran kind of like an underground uh, radio station um, with anti-Empire propaganda. They, you know, they helped out local anti-Empire movements. And they were killed by the Empire when he was pretty young. And so he has a huge chip on his shoulder and a lot of anger toward the Empire. And in a few instances, pretty early on, when he learns about the Force, he uses the dark side pretty clearly. Oh, very quickly. Yeah. And so um, a lot of his story through the kind of through the whole show, um, and it's it's becomes more it, it ebbs and flows. But as early as season one, we start to see that he struggles pretty hard to stay on the light side, and Kanan struggles pretty hard to keep him on the light side. Right, and I I think this is really interesting if we kind of compare his story to Ray's because she can go dark side and then come back to the light side, and you know we we see that from. From Ezra too, as the show develops. Yeah, and you know it's it, it's it's an interesting contrast a little bit, and I think that this really speaks to the post Temple Jedi era that you know Ezra is able to do that, and it's not a black and white. You touch the dark side, so now you're a dark Jedi kind of situation. He is able, and like like it or not, he's able to use the dark side to get himself out of some bad situations, right? And I think that this goes to, you know, like if you think about Anakin, if Anakin was allowed every once in a while to express a little bit of his anger and emotions, right? Kanan is not the best at, you know, he, he was only trained up to, you know, about age probably 13, 14 um, as a Padawan, and he's not the best at, he's decent at it but not the best at controlling his emotions and so his temper gets the better of him Ezra's temper gets the better of him and in that ability to express their emotions they kind of are able to walk that line and they don't get as it's not like as soon as they touch the dark side they get completely pulled down the way it seems that people who have grown up and are full-fledged Jedi as soon as they touch the dark side they get ripped into it right and yeah like maybe if Anakin had been able to invite Obi-Wan to his wedding that he wouldn't have been like yeah. All, all bad? Maybe. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. A little bit. 
Um, and so, but, but Ezra definitely, he, he, he full on uses the dark side of the force every once in a while and, and does have to struggle to stay a good guy. And every once in a while, he, he asks some really interesting questions, including he asks Yoda, you know, why, why is it important for us to be so peaceful? Like we, the empire is an enemy. We need to fight them. We choose to fight. Why, why not do that? And, you know, Yoda in, in his own kind of way, you know, realizing what war has done to him and to, to his, you know, to his whole order uh, has a different perspective on it. But Ezra does make an interesting point. Like, if we're going to fight, let's fight. <laughs> yeah. If you're not going to fight to win, why are you fighting? Yeah, so. exactly. Um, so a, a couple more points before we wrap up. Uh, you know, I, I think it's important to mention uh, Sabine Wren, even though her character isn't super important in season one. Um, we, we definitely know that she's artistic and she's got a lot of angst and having been a a former teenage girl, we were very, very angsty. It's part of our, our charm. I I use that word very loosely there, but her angst is unparalleled. Um, and naturally Ezra winds up having a little bit of a crush on her. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you know, as this, as the story goes on, you know, I, I think a lot of, some of her angst at least is justified. Um, but but she uh she's definitely got an attitude um and yeah and she she likes to her her art is both uh paint and explosives and so what's really interesting and this sort of tapers off over the series as multiple plots get you know sort of strung on top of each other but what she does is like she is the explosives expert of the team but she always likes to uh, like set her explosives so that they blow up in in like pretty patterns and and like an artistic expression i'm putting her, her in charge of fourth of july yeah 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 and then she also everything that she captures she she paints so she ends up like they have a whole collection of stormtrooper helmets that she paints in different patterns and stuff her armor her mandalorian armor is painted in multiple colors which is pretty unusual now is it beskar uh not clear because it's always been painted so it's hard to say i doubt it though i would hope she went pink beskar but what Uh, do i know what do you know and i i don't know yeah okay um uh Another point that I, I think is important, or maybe it's just something that I noticed, is that I think that this story tells a story of someone born at the exact same time as Luke and Leia, and they grew up in the Empire. Because we know what happens to Luke, we know what happens to Leia, and, you know, imagine if they hadn't been set out into families, if they hadn't had the upbringings that they had, that I think Ezra kind of embodies the life that they would have had and and that i think tells us you know another way to have grown up yeah i think that's it's interesting and really um an important point of view on the story because you're you're exactly right um you know leia grew up in you know her her mother was the queen of of alderaan and her father was the senator of alderaan um that's kind of a uh certain upbringing luke living on tatooine living kind of a simple farm life and having obi-wan kenobi watching over him yeah ezra basically was grew up an orphan at exactly the same time and and had none of those opportunities and so you know yeah his the, but all of the force but so all of the force potentially yes. just as much if not more force than luke right i mean yeah we don't know for sure but he ends up being pretty powerful and uh and so yeah um and and growing up with that, you know, with that sort of knowledge of what the Empire has done to him and that chip on his shoulder sort of colors the way that he goes through life. Yeah. And it's not really just one chip. It's like an entire bag of chips. Sure. He's really upset about yeah, a yeah. lot of things. Well, I think that's pretty justified. Totally justified. Totally. Yeah. But I, I think we would be remiss to only call it one chip on his shoulder. Fair enough. 
Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, this is big time spoiler alert, but, you know, if you're listening to our pod, you know, 20 episodes in, uh, it, we'd like to think that you've probably watched most of this content or are planning to. And if not, you prefer us to just share all the details. Kevin, who's Fulcrum? Ahsoka Tano. And that was the cool, the first time I saw that, that was the, the most amazing reveal. So, um, yeah, we've been, he- we hear through about the back half of the season about this Fulcrum, 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 and then they finally get the chance to meet Fulcrum. And when we see her, it's Ahsoka. Uh, she's, you know, she's now 14 years older than last we saw her. So she's probably in her, what, late 20s now? No, no, no. She she's- should be in her mid to late 30s. Yeah, okay. Yeah, she's about the same age. She's a little bit older than Kanan. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we don't know exactly everything she's been up to, but we do know that she has um, the most beautiful white lightsabers. Uh, She ends up joining the crew, uh, not permanently. She comes and goes, but she joins the crew into the second season. But it's a pretty awesome reveal. Yeah, no, that that was really cool. I, I think my jaw totally hit the ground when we watched that. Yeah. So, because I kept asking you, who's Fulcrum? Who's Fulcrum? And you refused to tell me. Yes. Well, I learned my lesson after uh, the uh, episode seven debacle, uh, not to spoil Star Wars things for you. Right. And, you know, because this is a podcast sometimes about relationships, but mostly about Star Wars, really the only times we have fights are about Star Wars. Yeah. And we we kind of fought a little bit about you not telling me who Fulcrum was. Yeah, a little bit. You were pretty mad that I wouldn't reveal it. Um, but yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't like our fight about episode seven. No, I held strong on that one because it was such a good reveal that I didn't want to spoil it for you. But I spoil it for all our listeners because I care a little bit less about your anger at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, my anger is not real anger. Um, but wait, have we talked about our fight about episode seven? Yeah, I think we talked about it when we talked about episode Okay, seven. good. Yeah. yeah. No, that time I, I was pretty upset, yes, actually. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, not for like a long time, only until the following day when we got to see the movie. But yeah, then notwithstanding, I, I really wanted to know who Fulcrum was. And I, I'm glad you held out because it really made the reveal really cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, on, on that note, you know, we're, we're going to hit up seasons two, three and four. And, you know, there are plots that come into play with Maul that we've already spoken about. So, you know, we, we'll kind of gloss over those. But, you know, they, they really fit in and where we see them fit in um, really brings everything together as far as the whole universe goes. And, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, we don't see too many other relationships throughout our adventures with the Rebels group, do we? Yeah, I mean... I'm trying to think. I don't know. We'll we'll maybe review. We'll 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 get back to that when we get there. I I think the I mean Kanan and Hera are the big one. Ezra, you know, sort of Ezra's relationship with both um, Kanan and Maul in in you know sort of his master um, yeah. learner apprentice relationship. And it's then, almost like brother with Kanan and you know apprentice with. Yeah. And then we do when we get into the Mandalorian sequences, I think those are in season three uh, and four. We do see a lot of family kind of related things. Right. Because there's a there's a whole lot of Mandalorians are family people. So. Right. And I think Sabine is the one who told them or told Ezra that they were all a family when he's like, who are you guys? She's like, we're a family, even though none of them are related. They're not married. They don't look like each other. None of that. She's like, we're a family. This yep. is who we are. Yep. And I, I think, you know, that is the overarching theme across all four seasons is family. Um, and, you know, what is it in Lilo and Stitch where they say, 
Ohana means family and family means no one left, left behind. behind. Yeah. And I, I think that is totally what we see throughout this series too. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yep. So a- anything else you want to add? Uh, no, it's other than it's a, it's a great show. Um, and it's one that I really enjoy and I go back and watch things. It's, it is, it is, you know, like I said before, not as much of a kid's show as it originally appeared. Um, and so it's one that's entertaining for, for kind of all ages. Um, but yeah, really good Star Wars content. Probably I, I, I am torn between whether I like Clone Wars or Rebels better. I think there are kind of individual episodes of Rebels that I think I like a little bit better. Maybe Clone Wars in the aggregate I like better, but it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff. See, I think that I like Rebels in the aggregate better, but if we had never had season seven of Clone Wars, I don't know if it would have even been something I would have thought twice about. But now I actually have to think about it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. I love you. I know. <laughs>